0: Lord, upon this message, and your servant, Lord, this morning. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. Now, trust is important in our daily lives, isn't it? We need to be able to trust people, and it's especially important to be able to trust our family members, especially our wives and husbands, (laughs) and we generally do that until someone destroys that trust. And it's really hard once someone has destroyed your trust to gain it back, isn't it? Yeah. And it's, oh, it's, it's one of the hardest things to gain back after you've lost it. We as uh, believers have a tendency to over-trust. We trust situ- in situations and in people that we shouldn't be trusting in. We just automatically assume that everybody we meet is a Christian, even though they're not or have Christian values. And they don't, do they? And so we kind of allow ourselves to be kind of sucked into that situation. And then, of course, we're the ones that lose or get hurt in, in, the, uh, in the issue. Um, now, I know that probably every parent here that has ever taken their kids uh, swimming when they were little before they learned how to, s- to swim And you tell your kids they're standing on the side of the pool and and they're terrified of of the water, especially when they notice you're standing there and the water's up to here and they're they're this tall. (laughs) 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 And you tell them, come on, jump to me. Jump to me. Come on, we'll catch you. Have you ever done that, parents? I think every parent has probably done that. And we did it with our kids and we sit there and we encourage them and we encourage them. And finally, they will jump to you after they say, well, you sure you're going to catch us? Yeah, yeah, we'll catch you. Are you sure? Are you really sure? (laughs) You know, we have to keep encouraging them in order to get them to trust us. But finally, they eventually jump in and we catch them. Anyway, hopefully you caught them, parents. (laughs) Unless they had a bad week and then you let them go under for a minute to let them learn. (laughs) But generally, our kids learn to trust us by things that, that we say that we follow through on. That's why it's so important, parents, to tell if you tell your kids you're gonna do something, do it. And if you forget something, make sure that, that they understand that the situation because life happens to us, doesn't it? And the problem is life happens at the most inconvenient time. But generally speaking, we as parents we need to make sure that we can be trusted by our children. And we need to be able to trust our children too, kids. You have to earn that trust. Well, actually, you don't earn it. You're actually, I trusted my kids till they proved that they couldn't be trusted. And our kids swore that we had people following them. And sometimes it was me. <laughs> we didn't have cell phones back then. And so we had, to, you know, we verified a lot of times that our kids were where they said they were. I remember in the middle of winter sitting down the road from a house where our, or Sheldon, said he was going to be, and I sat out there for an hour or two hours making sure that that's where he was going to be, and it was cold, but I did those things for to make sure that he is where he says he is to verify things. You know, we trust, but verify even your kids, especially today. It's easier to keep track of your kids now, isn't it? If they have cell phones, then you can put trackers on the phone to know where they're at all the time. So kids, if you have a cell phone, your parents probably have a tracker on it. If they don't, they need one. Because you never know in this world what's going to happen. And we need to know where our kids are. It's harder now. or it's, I mean, it's easier to lose your kid now than it used to be. Because there's more uh, pedophiles out there. There's more uh, crooks out there than there used to be. Like I said, if you look on the, just look on the sex offender's website in our area, and you will be devastated to find out how many there are. Makes you want to lock up your kids and put them on a leash and walk them everywhere. Because it just scares you to death. But we need to uh, make right decisions about our kids because they are the most valuable thing we have is our children. And if we don't take care of our children, then our world isn't a mess. Our world is in a mess, why? Because the kids that people have raised are gonna take over the world. And it's scary. So parents, you need to make sure that you're raising your kids with the right values in order to influence the world around them. We have a, a generation of entitlement. We call them, I call them the entitlement generation, where they think, hey, I didn't ask to be born, so I expect you to pay for my colleagues Buy all my wonderful clothes, expensive clothes and expensive shoes and, and get me this real fancy cell phone and everything else that I want because, hey, I'm entitled to it. Yeah, they're entitled to it. They're entitled to a, to a what do they call it, a paddle on the back of their backsides <laughs> to the seat of knowledge or whatever it is when they mess up. But see, they aren't entitled to anything. They're only entitled to the, to the right of, to pursue happiness. No one can guarantee anyone happiness. The only one that actually can guarantee happiness is God. But in order for God to guarantee happiness, we have to submit our total life to Him. Because happiness isn't in things that we have. Because if they were if it was just in things, then how come so many millionaires or, or idols or do you want to call them commit suicide? How come so many of them are on drugs? because it doesn't satisfy stuff does not satisfy and so parents you don't need to worry about giving your kids everything that they want in order to make them happy you give them what you can you raise them with the right morals you make sure they have chores to do because this life isn't a free lunch our kids did chores from the time that they were able to do chores and that was younger than most of them. they do now. And if they didn't get their chores done, they were grounded. They weren't allowed to go anywhere for the weekend. And that's the hot, the worst punishment you can give your kids. Of course, it's so miserable on you because you have to listen to them the whole weekend. They're not phone calls. They can't come out. No, they're going. And then they can, kid friends can make fun of them. They nah, 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 couldn't go anywhere because you need not get your chores done. Nah, 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 nah. I don't have to do chores because I'm so special and you're not. Everyone needs to have chores to do. Idle hands is the devil's workshop. So if the kids don't have something to do, they're going to find something to do. And the things they find to do aren't something that we want them to do. That's the reality of life. I've lived a long time. Grandma's lived a long time. Pam's lived a long time. Now we're getting to the younger group now. <laughs> we took care of the three oldest ones in the group. <laughs> so we know and we've seen a lot of things. But the world doesn't take advantage of the wisdom of the older people like the Bible does. How do, you, how do you learn wisdom? Because we messed up so many times, we knew what not to do. she the. Pastor Sheldon talked about the things that he did, that he invented. Well, believe me, I invented a long time before he did. Sometimes he, we didn't call him on everything he did because, you know, sometimes you have to pick your battles as a parent. If we grounded him for everything that he ever did, he'd never left the house. <laughs> <laughs> My parents never caught me for doing anything. And I snuck out of the house almost every night. <laughs> Come back in. My dad went to work. I'd come home. I'd sit there and watch him down the road. Okay, dad's gone. Then I'd come home. Where was I at? Out partying and drinking. That's where I was at. See, it's nice. When I was younger, I knew people that looked older so they could buy our booze for us. It's not some of the fondest memories that I have. Especially when you have to go to school with a hangover. That is not fun. Not fun. So our kids didn't have the benefit of being raised in a Christian home, but they did have the benefit of knowing that their parents loved them. We loved them. How do we show our love to them? By showing them that they couldn't get away with everything. You spell love, T-I-M-E, and almost every weekend when the kids were little, we took them out up to our property that we had, and we had family time. They griped and moaned for the two hours it took us to get there, but after they get there, they had a good time, and we do this every weekend. So we, and we have a lot of memories from those times. Oh, sure, it'd been easier just to stay home and let them go run wild and not do anything. But, but then they would have missed the memories that they have, and we would have missed it too. So, parents, you need to find ways to spend time with your kids, because before you know it, they're going to be grown and gone. Hopefully. <laughs> We live in a world that they they get grown and they don't go. And they get married and bring their wives home or their their husbands home. And then they start having kids and pretty soon their family outweighs you and your husband. (laughs) That isn't God's plan. (laughs) It might have been planned in, in Bible days. They just added a house, a room onto the house. That was the custom then. And if you want to do that, that's fine. But they don't get no free lunch if they're there. Because I guarantee it, you think they ate ate a lot when they were little? When they get older, they eat a lot more. (laughs) Have you found that be true? I know that when our kids were in high school, they didn't eat a bowl of cereal for breakfast. They ate a box of cereal for breakfast. (laughs) So we had three growing boys, and I'm not kidding you. It kept us almost broke just keeping the cereal in the house milk. So anyway, I don't know how I got off of that in any of my notes. It's free. If you need it, use it. If not, well put put it somewhere on the shelf. You'll need it one day. <laughs> but trust is important. And we need to be able to be trusted, don't we? But if we were asked if we could be trusted, hopefully we'd say yes. Now why would we say yes? We'll say, well basically we're good people. Most of us most people in this world are good people. And a lot of them were even consider themselves godly. And we ask, well, how come you're a good person? What makes you a good person? What makes you godly? And people probably say, well, let's see. I go to church on Sunday, maybe. Maybe I don't. I don't smoke. I don't cuss. I don't drink. And I don't hang around with those that do. And don't chew. What else? <laughs> what, are the, what are the other big things that people do? See, and, we, and the world looks at those things the things that people do, the good things that they do or what they consider to be good, they think that makes us godly or we think that makes us someone that can be trusted. And in a lot of cases it is. Like I said, I trust people, but I verify because uh, not so much in the church, um, but even in the church, some of the worst scars people get are from the church. I'll tell you, it's, it's very painful when the people in the church are the ones that hurt you but that's the reality of life. It happens a lot more than a, in a larger church. I think that it does in smaller churches. But in smaller churches, everybody knows about it. So in some senses, it's worse. <laughs> but uh, so we need to uh, hope that we can be trusted. But the question is, can God trust us? Now, that's a harder, more difficult question, isn't it? We like to think that God could trust us. Can God trust us when we're under attack? Or when all hell is breaking loose around us? Can God trust us when Satan decides to shoot darts at our marriage or children? Can God trust us when our check bounced or when the boss doubles our work but not our pay? Now, we all have been under attack at some time or other, haven't we? And sometimes I think it's a continual attack. You know, we're at war. And even in war, you get a break Sometimes. But sometimes in, these, in this world that we live in, it seems like we are—we have no breaks. It's a continual attack, especially from the places where we shouldn't be attacked. And that's from the, the government that we set up. Like I said, I just can't believe the world that we live in when people can't pray in school or read their Bible in school, but they're allowed to bring prayer rugs to school and use them. What is the matter with our world? Well, what's the matter with it is because the only one they don't have to be tolerant of are Christians. And we need to do something about that. Because Christians don't believe in killing people if we don't believe like they do. We believe in in loving people and doing what we can for people and not betraying their trust. All the things that the government should be doing. God tells us to take care of your own people before you try to take care of anybody else. He said, you're, you're an infidel if you don't provide for your family. And yet we live in a world where we're not allowed to take care of our family because we're too busy taking care of the world that isn't our family. Now, I believe in helping wherever we can. But I go by the, the Bible example where first you do it in your home, then you do it in your city, then you do it in your state, then you do it in your nation, then you do it in the rest of the world. See, we've jumped our, our city, we've done, jumped our towns, and we jumped our homes and went to the rest of the world, and we're wondering why we don't have any money. If we, every fit man, woman, and child got all the money we were giving to other nations, we'd be millionaires. We'd be wanting to have kids so we could get a million dollars a kid. I could live pretty good on a million dollars a year. How about you? Anybody, any of you would struggle on a million dollars a year? Anyone? I don't think I would. I'd like to try. (laughs) And yet we're so upside down on the things that we do. It's ridiculous. and just blows my mind. That's the disadvantage of living as long as I have is because I never thought this stuff would ever happen in America. And yet here we are. We can't trust our government. And that's, a, that's bad because we are the ones supposedly putting them in office. And it just drives me crazy at the things that pe- why people vote. And women are the worst about it. Well, I'm going to vote for them because they're better looking than this guy. What is my <laughs> it just blows my mind and I've heard people say that. Why like him because he's better looking than the other guy. That's stupid. That's a stupid way to cast your vote. <laughs> we need to find out the issues and vote on them. Who is going to be the one that's actually going to do what we put in, send them to office to do? Trust. Most of the ones that we've sent there, we can't trust anymore. They have betrayed us. And yet they come and say, well, if you do it again, I will do this. Well, guess what? I don't believe them. I don't trust them anymore. They proved I can't trust them. And until they start changing something, I'm not going to trust them. You can if you want. That's up to you. That's your, that's your choice. But uh, we need to be able to trust people. And when we're under attack, we have to realize that it's Satan is the one that's causing the attack. Now, sometimes we blame others when bad things happen. If something happens at work, we blame somebody we work with before it. Or if it happens somewhere else, we blame them. Or, in a lot of cases, we blame God for what happens in our life. I know that God can change things, and I understand that, and God's in control. But we need to realize who the one is that's responsible for it. John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal, steal, and kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Now, who is the thief in this verse? Is it your neighbor? Is it someone you work with? Is it somebody in the church? Is it God? No, the thief is Satan. He's the one that has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And when we understand that, it will help us. So when something happens to us, realize that that person was just influenced by Satan. And sometimes uh, Satan uses a lot of Christians to do damage. It's amazing to me, but we don't know any better. Sometimes we submit to stuff, and and I'm as guilty as anybody else. I'm not going to sit up here just because I'm on this platform that's a little higher. doesn't mean that I'm any less guilty of this than you are. Because I do the same thing, and I need to confess a lot of things because I do. Sometimes I even have to apologize for some of the things that I do because of that. And I do, because God won't let me sleep until I do, and I'm glad he does, because otherwise my conscience will start getting seared and it won't matter. Oh, big deal, who cares? They can get over it or not. So we need to understand that it's Satan is the, one that di- is the one that's doing it. So we need to quit blaming God and others and start blaming the one that's responsible. And I pray a lot of times sometimes, and I'll say, Satan, you get your hands off of God's property. Because believers, we belong to God. We don't belong to the world. We are, we are not citizens of this world. Well, actually, we have dual citizens. We're Americans, and we're also Christians. And our citizenship is in heaven. And we need to understand that. And when we do, it's easier to deal with situations. Now, we're not going to get a road map to everything that goes on in our life. I wish we would. I wish God would send me a program every week. of what's going to happen that week? Would you? Oh, that one person you sit next to at work is going to call you a name. Be easy. I'm sitting here. I'm just waiting. I'm waiting for that. I'm just waiting. And then we... God doesn't give us a program every week. He wants us to be able to trust him to know what we're going through and knowing that he will help us. And that's, what God, that's why God allows things to happen to us. Not to hurt us, but to help us and make us stronger. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9. <clears throat> we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. God wants us to understand what's going on. That's why he gave us the word, his word. But see, the problem is we have to read it. If we don't read his word, we're not going to know what's going on. And we're going to blow up every time something happens. And when we blow up as a believer, people are going to look at you and say, hey, are you calling yourself a Christian? And then, oh, just like a knife to the heart, isn't it? Now, if we um, read God's word, and the more we read God's word, the easier it is to, to survive those things, not to react. We're supposed to act, not react. There's a difference. Bad things are going to happen to everyone here in this building this morning. But how we respond to them is our choice. We have a choice. We can get mad, we can get even, or we can let God take care of it. And God does a lot better job of it than we ever will. I believe that. Do you? not only did he give us his word, he sent the Holy Spirit not only to live inside of us, to strengthen us, to help us, but to help us understand his word. The world isn't designed to understand his word. This was written to us. And when people become a believer, then they start saying, man, I never never understood it. You want to understand it? Know the author. If you know the author, you can understand What they mean when they say certain things. The world can't. I can understand when when Randy talks about certain things, I understand because I know him and I know what he means. But if you heard some of the things he said, you might not understand them. See, when you get to know the author, all of a sudden things make sense. And that's what God wants you to do, that's why he gave us his word. Now, Paul is telling us that he's been through the storm. He's been through a lot of storms, and he's telling us that trials and tribulations come, and sometimes they are much, almost too much to bear. He said, I thought we had a death sentence. Now, I don't think any of you are, are living under the uh, idea of a death sentence. Anyway, not yet. If we don't change something, you might someday, just for men in this church. If we don't change something in this nation, it will happen. And after the Lord comes to take us all out of here, it will definitely happen. <laughs> that that I can almost I can guarantee you. Now Satan's <clears throat> Satan's army have no intention in letting any of us, any of us, become successful or live at peace. We can't have a peace treaty with our enemy. There's no way we can give the devil an inch. Because if we give him an inch, he'll take what? A mile. So we can't give him anything because he, it will be to our detriment. <clears throat> he will not obey any peace treaty that is made. It's kind of like the peace treaties in the Middle East against the, the, the people that live over there and Israel. They will never work because they hate Israel. And there's their desire to see them all dead and wiped off the face of the earth. And it's their desire to have every believer wiped off the face of the earth, too. That's their mantra. They want to kill every one of them so they can make all the peace treaties they want and they will never work unless the whole Muslim nation becomes believers. Because that's what their gospel teaches. Kill. Theirs is a gospel of death, not life. There's a difference. And so as long as that's their mantra... There's no I don't care what the peace treaty is. We've given them billions of dollars to do what?'ve They aren't, they've already uh, the last peace treaty we did, which is ridiculous to me, they've already broken. and we give them 150 billion dollars. Man, that's a lot of money. That's oh man, That's enough for every one of us to have a few million dollars apiece. And they give it to him for what? Please don't make any bombs this week. Okay, we won't. There's the money. Now I'm using the money to buy bombs. Because they can ne- They will never, ever obey a peace treaty. And you need to understand that as Americans. So going forward, because it will never never work. 2 <coughs> Corinthians 10, one, to le- uh, 1, 10 and 11. <coughs> he has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hopes that we will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted to us in answer to the prayers of many. In the middle of Paul's trouble, he says, though he couldn't go on, when he couldn't go on, God delivered him. For the, through the prayers of others. Prayer is a very powerful thing. See, God can trust Paul when he went through the storm of life, which to him seemed like a hurricane. We think our storms are bad. You read the life of Paul and see what he endured i don't I used to think I want to be another Paul no, I don't. <laughs> not if I had to do through the things he went through it's not up high on my list <laughs> of things to do. <clears throat> Now, we may think that Paul's a superstar Christian, but he's no different than any one of us here this morning. He chose to study God's word. He chose to believe God and trust God. We have that same choice this morning to do. And if we do those things, then it doesn't matter what happens, what else happens, because God will get us through it. Because the more we read his word, the more our faith is strengthened, and we don't have to worry about it. Now, God can trust us to know what to do when we're under attack and in a storm. Can't he trust you to know that? The only way you're going to be able to do that is by reading his word. Now, God shows us what Paul, Job, and what other saints in the, did in the, in the storm, what they did to survive. But see, we have to read those things in order to know what they did. Now, Paul was stoned, beaten, shipwrecked, and had plenty and had people trying to kill him? Has anybody went through any of that stuff this morning? I probably had a lot of people say, "I wish you did." <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> and when we think, "Oh no, they said they hate me. Oh, it was my kid too." Well, it hurt, didn't it? <laughs> Mission accomplished. <laughs> now, Job lost seven thousand sheep, three thousand camels, five hundred oxen, five hundred she asses, his servants, and even his children. Now, Job lost everything except his nagging wife and some friends that he could probably do without. Now, if I'd have been Job, the first thing I'd have done is got rid of that woman because she sat there and she rubbed it in. Oh, Job, curse God and die. Why are you still worshiping God when all this stuff is happening? And we did the same thing. Why are we still trusting God when all this stuff's happening in our life? Why? If someone is going through a storm, encourage and pray for them. Don't add to the storm. When someone says, well, I'm sick and I've had this going on in my life, don't say, you know, I had that last week and I just prayed and trusted God and it was gone the next day. Don't do that. (laughs) All you do is condemn them because theirs might not be gone the next day. Just pray with them, and lift them up, and every time you think about them, pray for them. Don't condemn them because they are struggling with it more than you did. That isn't the way you help them. The way you help them is by praying and encouraging them. job 122 <clears throat> In all this, job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Now this is an amazing verse. <laughs> I'll tell you. If everything that happened in, to Job happened in my life, it'd be amazing not to blame God. I have enough going on in my life without blaming God, so I don't want to be like Job. Anyone want to be like Job? <laughs> it's hard to live in this world with, and the things that we have to go through and not blame God. But well, see, we need this verse memorized. Don't blame God. God allowed it, to strengthen Job and to prove a point to us, poor Job had to live through all this for our benefit. How many of you want to live through something for someone else's benefit? Anybody? Any volunteers? I don't want to volunteer for that. <laughs> I got enough issues. I don't want to volunteer for any more. First Corinthians ten thirteen. <clears throat> no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Have you ever tried to claim this verse by telling God, Hey, God, I've had it up to here, I can't take anymore. Have you done that? Man, I have. I can say, God, I can't take anymore. Maybe your level of what this is different than mine. uncle. How many know what uncle means when you say that? When I was growing up and you was wrestling with somebody and they were hurting you, you yelled, Uncle, and they would let you go. <laughs> uncle God, Uncle! <laughs> and it, you know, it's kinda of, you know, we usually don't laugh when we're in the middle of it, though, do we? If we laugh it's sarcastically, yeah, I'm really having a good time. Yes, I am. <laughs> So, but this verse tells us that if we do have to go through the things that Job went through, that God, we will survive if we trust God, just like Job trusted God. It took a lot of faith and trust in God to go through what he went through without cursing God. It really did. And so we read that, and we understand that. Um, and have you ever noticed that nobody names their kid Job? You ever heard anybody name their kids Job? There ain't no way. I ain't naming my kid that. That's a curse. You might as well name him a bad word as that. When I tell Randy, because I read the Bible through every year, I say, Randy, I'm reading Job. He'll say, Oh no, run for the hills. <laughs> because it seems like when we get in it, that's when we have it. If we weren't in it before, we're going to now. So I speed read. <laughs> Done, okay. I say, Randy, I'm done. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Because <laughs> that's not a pleasant book to read. <laughs> Job forty-two, twelve. <clears throat> the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 donkeys. And he also had seven sons and three daughters. The Lord knew he could trust Job. Now, I know that children can't be replaced. There's no way in the world that God could replace a child. But He can, if, if you have to go through that loss, He will help you get through it. That'd I mean, be the hardest thing for a parent to do is to bury a child. The worst thing, I remember I did a funeral for that baby that, was a, that lived in a whole hour. That, that was a hard funeral to do, to tell them that they can trust God when they're sitting and looking at a baby that only lived an hour, and they're gone. And there's nothing that looks sadder than a little baby about this big in a coffin. That's hard. And it'd be hard for a parent. But if that ever happened, God would help you live through it. He would comfort you because he's the God of all comfort. And he would help you. Because we can trust God. (coughs) And God, when you get through all the stuff that Job went through, he, got, he was even wealthier than he was before. And he dealt with his friends. I don't know whether he dealt with his wife. He didn't mention that. That's what I wanted to see. I want to see God slap the wife. <laughs> because it's awful hard when you're going through something and your spouse is nagging you. And it isn't just women that nag, guys. Men nag too. I don't want to give you any examples. <laughs> I'm glad we can have fun. <laughs> when we get stressed out, stretched out, and worn out, we, c- we can't run. We need to stand. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 to 8. There is a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot A time to laugh—I say a time to kill and a time to heal A time to tear down and a time to build A time to weep and a time to laugh A time to mourn and a time to dance A time to scatter stones and time to gather them A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing A time to search and a time to give up A time to keep and a time to throw away a time to tear, down, tear, tear, and a time to mend. Oh, excuse me, tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. There's a time for everything. Now, this was a popular song in the 60s. I maybe you know have heard that song. It was really a popular song. a really nice to listen to, but it isn't nice when you get to the other things that's in there that we don't like. We, don't, we like the time to dance and like the time to laugh, but we don't like the time to weep and mourn. We don't like the time to tear down. We like the time of healing, but we don't like the time of being sick, do we? See, but that's the cycle of life. That's what this whole verse is. It's a cycle of life, and we will go through this cycle in our lives at some time or another. Except my problem is sometimes I'm going through that cycle all in one week, that's when it's hard. (laughs) We need to realize that this is the cycle of life. And God isn't picking on you when certain things happen in your life. Because unless the Lord tarries, we are going to die one day. Eventually, all of us will die. Some older than others. There's no set age for death. Death is no respecter of persons at all. None. None. Whether you're a child or old, it doesn't matter. People die. It's a very popular business to be in. Because, how, because death is one per person. Doesn't matter how you invest your life, eventually you're going to die. And when you die, how much are you going to leave? All of it. You don't get to take any with you. We in America, especially, we live like we're going to take it with us. And we're not. I mean, it's nice to, to save money, and I think that we should, because we never know what's going to happen. But when you die, your kids will spend it. Probably not in the uh, way that you'd want them to, unless you stipulate it. And if they're, they'll probably have it gone in, in two months, and it took you a lifetime to accumulate. Especially this new generation, because they don't value anything, do they? <clears throat> so, but there is a time for everything, Ecclesiastes 9.12. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come, as a fish caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. Satan attacks us because he hates God. You ought to know why. That's why he hates God. And Satan cannot defeat God. So his next best thing to do is to attack and destroy what God loves. And what does God love? Us. So if you want to know why you're under attack, it's because Satan hates God. And God loves you. Sometimes I tell God, don't love me so much. (laughs) I kid a lot about that. But the reality is that's why you're going through it. Because Satan does not want you to serve God. He doesn't want you to love God. He wants to make us quit or run. He doesn't want us to stand and fight. And yet when we stand and fight, we'll win. If we don't win, it's because we gave up. There are some things that we can do when Satan attacks. Hebrews 10:22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised it is faithful. The first thing we can do when we're going through something is to pray and read God's word. Those are the first things we need to do. But these are the first things that we quit doing when we're under attack. We get mad at God and say, I'm not reading your word. And I'm not going to talk to you because I'm mad at you because you let this happen to me. It's your fault. And we throw a temper tantrum. Now, I know when our kids were little, they threw temper tantrums. Do you want me to tell you a way to cure that, parents? Do you want me to tell you how? The world won't like it, but it works. If they throw a temper tantrum, throw a glass of water on them. When Jason and Sheldon were little, Jason used to bite Sheldon all the time on the arm. And I used to bite Jason on the arm to get even. So they're both walking around, they both got teeth marks all up and down their arms. And no matter what I tied, it did not work. But I got me a little spray bottle. And every time he bit him, I sprayed him in the face. (laughs) It stopped it. It was a lot kinder than biting him. I tried everything. But it works, parents. If you just spank them, it isn't going to get the point across as easy as a start. Because oh, <coughs> they hate to be have water thrown on them. Now, they may grow up with fear of water, but you, you can get it out of them when they get older. <laughs> but it works. It works. I can testify to that. So in times of trouble, we need to read God's word more and pray more, not less. Because if we do that, we're going to have less problems. I can guarantee that. Hebrews 10 24 and 25. And even if the problems may not go away, but at least God will give us the strength to go through it because the closer we are to God, the things of this world don't seem as important. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as we see the day approaching. What day? The day of his return. We need to come to church more, not less. When these church doors are open, you need to be here. You say, well, I don't like what they're going to do that night, so I'm not going to go. I don't care what we're doing here. You need to be here. This is your church. You should be here. It's amazing how much just coming together and fellowshipping with one another can strengthen you and help you. Because we need to encourage one another. Now, how are we going to encourage one another if we don't see one another? It's hard to do. We have a hard time praying for somebody if we don't know they're having a problem. And how are we going to know they're having a problem? They come to church and they tell us. I'll tell you, I've had so many people call me and get mad at me because they were sick and I didn't come and pray for them. Well, call me. I'm not a mind reader. I got a lot of things going on in my life just like you are. And sometimes God tells me, but a lot of times He doesn't. He wants you to reach out and call. But if you did that, then we'd come and pray, and then you couldn't use that for an excuse not to come to church. (laughs) But we need to do that. And I'm just, I said, I'm amazed about it. Especially when I first took over, I had a lady that called me and tell me, I don't, why you don't, don't you pray for the sick anymore? And I says, yeah, we do. Well, nobody come pray for me. And I said, well, I don't even know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> and so she told me and told me where she lived. And we stopped by and prayed for her, And I asked her if she wanted, she said she couldn't get out because she had a lot of phobias about going outside. And I told her we'd bring CDs of the uh, message every week to her. And she said that was fine. So we did that. We prayed for her, and then we come over the next week and wanted to give her the seating. She's just leaving in the mailbox. They don't need to come in. And then she called and said, I don't want any (laughs) more. You know, no matter what you do, it's wrong. (laughs) Okay, God. But that's the world we live in, isn't it? Now, the second thing we can do is, like I said, keep coming to church. Not stop going to church. Because when you stop coming to church, we know. We know you're having a problem. And, and I don't know what it is, whether it's with someone in the church or whether it's me or with, us, with God. Come to church and hide it. And then you'll come and God will speak to you. And then you'll get, get over it. You'll confess it. And then you'll be fine. We don't want to come to church sometimes because we don't want God to let us get over it. Because we like it. Don't we? We do. Man, that person did something to me, and I'm giving them satisfaction, look, so I'm not even going to go to church and look at him. I know I have the same things going on in my life, and I have to pray through and get over it, just like you do. But we need to do that. It's hard to encourage and pray for someone when we aren't together. Or we don't know. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and no one to help them up. Also, if two, die, two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand them. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Together we can conquer any devil, any problem, any situation. It's when we separate ourselves from the body that the devil really attacks us. You think you have problems when you're a believer and coming to church and praying and reading your Bible? Do it when you quit doing all that stuff and see what happens. Because that's a rude awakening. He said, oh boy, I got it now. I got him. Because in a battle, who do they, or even animals, when they, when they are trying to kill a deer or whatever it is, or a sheep, they don't go in the middle of the flock and try to tear it up. They get the ones that are on the outskirts, or the weak. Those are the ones they attack. So get in the middle of the flock and you're safer. Come to church and be safe. Don't sit there on the outskirts and just be open seasoned by the devil. So... If you're going through something, don't blame me if I don't know about it. Don't blame the church if they don't know about it. Come to church. Keep coming to church. And we'll pray with you and we'll help you and encourage you. So together we can conquer any devil or any problem. After we've taken a stand, we need to step out in faith and trust God. That's what we need to do. Willa? Wilma Roda, Rudolph, 20th of 22 children. Oh man, that is, feels so bad for that woman. <laughs> oh, Lord have mercy. I knew a family went to our church, had 22 kids. And I felt so bad for that mother. And we went there for dinner. I'm going, man, where in the world are you going to stuck everybody? <laughs> but everybody had a job. And actually, it was smoother in my house. It was just like a conveyor belt. Just everybody did their, their little thing. You ate, and everybody did that, and everybody got it cleaned up, and it was really. Amazing to me, I'm sitting there going, of course, wouldn't it be nice to have a family with 22 kids? <laughs> Woo! Be great! <laughs> anyway, sorry. Uh, anyway, she was born prematurely and not expected to live. At four years old, she had double pneumonia, scarlet fever, and her legs were paralyzed. At nine years old, she removed removes b- mental braces and began walking. At 13 years old, she started running, but she came in last in every race. Wilma kept on running, allowing her faith to carry her. The girl that was not supposed to live and certainly not walk, yet she won three gold medals in the Olympics. I don't think anybody's had to deal with that kind of a life. But she trusted God and she believed and she kept on keeping on. We don't give up. We only lose when we give up and quit. That's the only way you lose. As long as you're fighting, you're going to win eventually. Because I guarantee it, if you give up, it's going to be the next day that the problem's going to be over. So you can't take the chance. don't risk it. Now in the Old Testament, when bad things happened, they tore their clothes. I don't have enough clothes to do that with. And I'm not sure Randy would want to support that kind of budget. <laughs> so I'm not, oh, I'm not with that, but they tore their clothes, but then they fell on their face before God. I'm for that part. Don't tear your clothes. Fall on your face before God and pray and seek his face and ask him, God, help me, give me strength to get through this problem. Don't let me give up. Whatever you need to pray in that situation, that's the proper response. Not giving up because if you give up, you lose. Now, God loves a lot of things to happen, so we'll run to him and tell him all about it. Not run to the phone and tell everybody we know about it. Because you know what happens when we do that? When we start talking about our problems to everyone, that little problem becomes this big. Because the more we talk about it, the worse it seems. Because we're giving victory to the devil instead of to God. But when we come to God and we tell him all about it, because actually God's the only one that can do anything about it. Of course, if you need some, some money and your friends may, may loan you some money or whatever, but generally God is the one we need to look to. He's the one we need to run to him, not run away from him, because he's the only one that can help us in the situation. Remember that God has never failed us, and he's in control. I don't understand the why of things that are going on. I never will until we get to heaven. You never will either. But when we get to heaven, we won't care anyway. But if we do want it to, and we sit there, and God gives us a snapshot of that problem, then we can see what God was trying to do in our lives if we would have just trusted him, and we would have just kept on and believing and doing what he's called us to do. So how do I know what God wants me to do? Well, this, this Bible contains most of God's will for your life. And when you keep doing this, then God will tell you to do something else. And you keep doing that until he tells you to do something differently. And whatever you think he's telling you to do, it will not go against this word. When you remember that, you'll be okay. But see, again, you have to read it. Because it's, there's a multitude of wisdom and a multitude of information that we need to use. So we need to use the enemy's setbacks as stepping stones to our comeback. Pretty good. Psalms 34, 1 <clears> 3. <throat> I will extol the Lord at all times, his praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Will we praise God before, during, and after the battle, or will we run and quit? You know, if we praise God in the middle of our troubles, the devil isn't going to like that. So the more we praise God and it isn't working, then the devil will quit doing that. If you want the devil to leave you alone, praise God. Because he will not do anything to you that's going to cause you to praise God. To trust God. He doesn't want that. He hates that. If you want to stab the devil in the eye, praise God. Works wonders. It's the best weapon we have to defeat the devil is praising God. And if we could clearly understand that, our lives would be so much different. But the big question remains, can God trust us? When everything falls apart, can God trust you? Can he trust me? I like to think he can, but the only way we know he can is by living for him and praising him and serving him and being faithful to him in the times that we're being attacked. Amen? Let's pray. President, Father, Lord, thank you again for this day. And Lord, I will probably never, ever thank you for the problems I'm going through or anyone else is going through. But we know, Lord, that these are the situations that you use to strengthen us. And even though we don't understand everything that's going on in our lives or in the lives of our family or our friends and the way that you work, we know, Lord, that you are ultimately in control. And I pray, Lord, that you just infuse our hearts with faith. And help us, Lord, to understand that the more we trust you, the less the problems of this world will affect our lives. Help us, Lord, to know that, to believe it, and to act upon it. To say to the things that are not as though they are. To speak your words, not the words of the devil, or not the words of of other people that don't know you. Help us to speak your words and your truth, because your words have life. Lord, in serving you, not only gives us life, but it gives us life more abundantly above more than we could possibly ask or think. Help us, Lord, to remain strong in you and to trust you and believe in you. Because ultimately, Lord, that's why we love you so much is because you love us and you died for us and you did everything that we needed need done in our lives already. And to you, Lord, the battle's already won. And you know, Lord, what's gonna happen in our lives. And I pray, Lord, that you help us never to quit trusting you, never quit believing in you, and help us, Lord, to be faithful to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, I know that most of us are believers here this morning, but if you're not, if someone here doesn't know you, doesn't know God, I mean, then I ask you to make that decision because you have no help. If you don't know God, you're alone. That's the reality of it. You're alone in a world with people all around, and that's the worst feeling there is in the world. And yet, if you are alone in this world and you have God, you have everything. <laughs> and God can provide everything for you. God wants to provide everything for you. But can he trust you with it? If, he's tr- if you've been faithful with what he's given you to do, then God can trust you with more. But if you haven't been faithful with what you have, how do you expect God to give you something else when you're not faithful? Because he knows you won't be faithful with that either. But God wants us, he gives us things to be faithful with, so he, we can prove not to him, because he knows, but to ourselves that we can do it, with God's help. Anybody here say, I don't know God, but I want him, want to know him, anyone? Okay, praise the Lord, I, kn- I know that we're most believers, and I don't ever want to service to pass, where? I didn't give you the opportunity. Prayer requests this morning.